Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the Word of God. I just want to turn your attention to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 3, and verses 1 through 11. And then after that, we will go to the book of Esther, chapter 4 and verse 14. Is it possible to put those up on the, okay. So Timothy, or Paul says in Timothy, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. It's inevitable. Perilous times will come because men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people, turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. How many of you believe that a knowledge of the truth is important? Amen. But they will, oh, now as Janus and Jamrus resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further. Can I tell you the tactics of the enemy has a time stamp on it. There's a limit to how far he can go in God's eyes. Because the last time I checked, he's the God of heaven and earth. Amen. But they will progress no further for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured and out of them all, out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Let's go to Esther chapter four and verse 14. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Many of us know that story of Esther and we know the circumstances in which she was in. And it could almost be said that in spite of the time as this, you have been brought into the kingdom in spite of these things that are happening. I just want to preach to you for a few minutes the greatest generation of the apostolic church. 
the greatest generation of the apostolic church. Amen? You can be seated. I, I read a quote by Ray Lewis that said, greatness is the accumulation of seemingly small things that are done well day after day. And what that speaks to is humility, first of all, but it also speaks to commitment and consistency. Greatness seems to be a buzzword that is used everywhere these days. Everyone wants to be great, right? No one wants to necessarily be mediocre. At least I've never heard an athlete say, you know, today I would just like to be average in this championship game or a, you know, something, something of that sort. Nobody wants to be mediocre. Everybody wants to be great. But few truly understand the process in order to achieve it. Another quote I read stated, great things never come from your comfort zone. Many times it seems that we are just too comfortable to achieve great things. But sometimes we don't have a choice. God's providence can thrust upon us circumstances that are unexplainable and problems that are uncomfortable. And it is never to necessarily destroy us, but rather it's his way of coaxing us to get up and to move forward, to go deeper, to reach a little bit farther. How many of you know that you are here not to be an average Christian? You have been called into the kingdom for a great task. You've been brought into the church to be a part of something great, not because you and I are great, but because he is great and his kingdom is great and his truth is great. But we've got to go deeper and we've got to reach further because it is through the crucible, through the problem, through the challenge that we are forged into something that we could never otherwise be. It's the pressure of the earth that produces the diamond. It's the heat of the flame that produces the steel. I want to make a short disclaimer before I get into where I feel the Lord would like me to go in this message. Because I don't feel like God has necessarily sent me here to bore you with historical facts, but rather to use an historical example as a mirror into our own hearts and to provoke us to look into the current circumstances of our day with a new perspective, a fresh inspiration that our God has a plan. And that our God has a reason for the circumstances and the problems that we are facing in our world. And it is to produce in us something that could not come about without the problem, without the struggle, without the trouble, without the giants in our lives. What produced the David that we know? The lion the bear, 
Goliath. Had he never faced those things, would we even know anything about David shepherding sheep on the backside of nowhere? But it was the calling of God that drew him out, not so that his life could be perfect, not so that there couldn't be any problems, but God drew him into seasons of life where he had to confront a problem, confront a giant, kill a lion, kill a bear in order for him to emerge. And I believe that the purpose is to illustrate what is produced when a world that is filled with turmoil and problems collides with a God-ordained generation. A generation that is perfectly placed within God's prophetic time clock at a predetermined place to accomplish a God-foreseen purpose. The group identified as the greatest generation, also known as the GI generation or the World War II generation, is generally defined as the people that were born from 1901 to 1927. Those of this generation were shaped by the hardships of the Great Depression and were the primary participants in World War II. They either fought in the war or worked in the industries that contributed to the winning of that great war. And members of this generation that came of age were children or were born during the progressive era, the World War I era, or the Roaring Twenties, which was a time of economic prosperity, characterized with great technological innovations and cultural transformations. Those alive in 1918 through 1920 experienced the deadly influenza pandemic. They also experienced much of their youth with rapid technological innovation that completely changed how we live life. The radio, the telephone, the automobile, just to name a few. They experienced the prosperity of a soaring economy without bounds and barriers, as well as the profound economic and social turmoil from a deep stock market crash that almost brought down our entire country. Sound familiar? The Great Depression greatly influenced and impacted this generation in profound positive and negative ways. Over 16 million Americans served in World War II, the majority being members of this generation. And the total casualties from this group were over 671,000 who were either killed or wounded. This generation would emerge from the hardship and deep challenges of the Great Depression and the destruction of World War II with an ability to know how to survive and to solve problems. They were not defined or limited by those problems and challenges that they faced, but on the contrary, they rose above them. Amen? I don't know about you, but I want to push back the forces of darkness tonight. I want to push back some spirits that are trying to encroach upon our homes and encroach upon our families and walk into the church and intimidate us. Fear, division, helplessness, hopelessness. How many of you would be honest 
and say in 2020 and 2021 and even today that you have felt, battled, or are continuing to battle with those things. Amen. The devil's tactics cannot destroy us. His schemes will not deceive us. His lies will not divide us and his obstacles will not stop us because we are the church of the living God and enough is enough. Enough is enough. We are a New Testament apostolic church and nothing he will ever do can ever prevail against the church. These challenges will not define us, but our God will cause us to rise, to meet them head on, and to triumph over them. How many of you believe that tonight? I know we've got problems. I know we've got struggles. I know we've got those things, but God has called you into the kingdom for such a time as this. This World War II generation was not characterized as selfish or self-serving, but rather they deeply committed themselves to making sacrifices for the greater good. If we are truly going to be a New Testament apostolic church, we must get our eyes off of ourselves and lift them up to the one that is higher than we are. We must stop serving ourselves and be servants of the king by serving others. Jesus said that the things that we do to the least of these, we have also done to him. We serve God by serving others and you can never disciple someone you are not willing to serve. You cannot reach someone that you are not willing to sit with them in their problem. We have to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto what is important. In Jesus' name. Because the thing is, is we have to earn the privilege to lead people. Another thing that this generation did to defend their country and the world, this great generation jumped off of amphibious military vehicles onto the sandy and bloody ground of Omaha Beach. Through the hail of gunfire and bombs, and they marched to certain death because they chose to look the problems of their generation in the face and not be stopped by them. They chose to forge ahead. Instead of allowing fear to paralyze them, it mobilized them into heroic action. Amen. We can't allow the fear that is rampant in our world to paralyze us. Amen. We need some people that are going to be coaxed into taking action for this generation. We have plenty of, of spectators, but we need participators. And in this generation, instead of disintegrating and falling apart in the face of profound economic challenges and pandemic sickness, they rose to the occasion and became stronger and more unified as they worked together for the common good. Tom Brokaw, in his book about this generation, wrote, they came of age during the Great Depression. 
and the Second World War and went on to build modern America, meaning this generation was forged and developed to maturity through hardship and difficulty, problems and obstacles. And yet in the face of these things, they persevered. They were men and women whose everyday lives of duty and courage gave us the world that we have today. Think about that. The generation in which they live, all the turmoil in the world, paved the way for the modern America that we have today. And it was because of their efforts. Brokaw goes on to identify one major characteristic that made them great. And that characteristic was none other than commitment. Commitment. Commitment to what? Commitment to family. Commitment to a disciplined life. Commitment to duty. And commitment to God. So how did they commit to family? They were the generation that truly believed in the phrase for better or for worse. They were the last generation, broadly speaking, in which marriage was a commitment and divorce was not an option. Not an option. During war, difficult times, family takes on an importance than it may in other times. So they had a deep and unwavering commitment to family. It was the very fabric that held together society. They had a commitment to a disciplined life. You'd probably say, how is that? Well, in a way that no one could have anticipated at the time, the military training and discipline required to win World War II became an accelerated course in how to prepare a young generation to run a large, modern, and complex industrial society. It prepared them for responsibility. Nearly every veteran, however painful the military experience may have been, seems to be grateful for the discipline and the leadership training that they were exposed to at such a formative time in their lives. So what does that say? It means the time of struggle, the time of trial and turmoil forged them into a tremendous force for freedom and for peace. And with the war and the Great Depression coming so closely together, this generation did not take lightly the idea of a disciplined life. Those who were disciplined lived and those who were not died. It was that simple. The challenge and necessity of their times brought forth in them a hunger for discipline and for action. We need a hunger for discipline and action in our day. We need a hunger for fasting. We need a hunger for prayer. We need a hunger for the word of God like we've never had before. A hunger for a disciplined life that produces action. We must decrease while he increases in us. They had a commitment to duty. During World War II, the use of the phrase you're a hero, was used often, but it was quickly denounced with, no, I'm not. I'm just doing my duty like everyone else. 
The fighting men and women were so dependent upon each other and shared so many common experiences that they were embarrassed to be singled out. Everything they did was not because they were special, but it was done because of a deep sense of duty to their nation and to their fellow man. I wonder how much we could use that in the family of God. I wonder how much we need that in the body of Christ at large, a commitment to the kingdom of God, but a commitment to each other. We're all in spiritual warfare. We're all taking fire from the enemy. We're all having problems, and we have to bear each other's burdens, and we have to be there for one another. Amen. We have to be connected. They had a commitment to God. Their faith in God was not a casual part of their lives in that generation. The men and women who went off to war or stayed home, they confessed that their spiritual beliefs helped them cope with the constant presence of challenges, death and injury and other anxieties that came with the disruption of war. Their faith in God drove their resolve to forge ahead in the midst of great trials and circumstances that they could not find words to explain. I wonder how many of us the last couple years have gone through times and have felt things that we just could not explain. They were the greatest generation within a time of profound challenges but unparalleled opportunities. They were perfectly placed within that time with the commitment required to seize those opportunities and to overcome those challenges and to push humanity forward. There were heroes that traveled to the foreign soil and there were heroes that stayed at home. Success for this World War II generation was dependent upon both. The church of the living God is dependent on global missions and home missions. We are dependent upon each other to accomplish this task of world evangelism. We are the body of Christ and we are dependent upon each other to function. Can I tell you also, we are living right now in such a generation. A time of profound challenges and a time of unparalleled opportunities for revival and for harvest. And we are perfectly placed by the grace and will of God to seize these opportunities that we have. He is giving us grace and power to overcome these challenges and obstacles for the purpose of expanding the kingdom of God and to push the apostolic church forward. To lead the church literally into the second coming of Jesus Christ. What a glorious opportunity. What a glorious opportunity. Do you feel like that tonight? Are you thankful? Hallelujah. I'm thankful for the opportunity that we have right now to have a front row seat to end time revival. To have a front row seat to the second coming of Jesus Christ. He's coming. He's coming, and God is raising up a great apostolic generation, and I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of it. I don't know about you. Do you want to be a part of it? Hallelujah. Profound challenges to revival, yes. 
restrictions upon how church has traditionally been done, yes. Being forced to adapt in the midst of an ever-changing culture, yes. Government encroachment on personal and religious freedoms, yes. Political unrest, social tension, racial strife, pandemic sickness, economic turmoil, and the list goes on. But can I tell you, in all these things, in all of these things, he has made us to be more than conquerors. He's made you to be more than a conqueror through him who loves us. And it is he who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. How so? According to his power that is working in us. Is his power working in you? Are you full of the Holy Ghost tonight? Have you been baptized in the name of Jesus? Then his power is at work in your life. Hallelujah. It is he who always causes us to triumph in all things and work all things for the good to those who love God. To those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Do you love God tonight? Are you sure? Do you love God tonight? Are you called according to his purpose? Or are you walking by your own purpose? No, no, no. We're called according to his purpose. In Jesus' name. Then if that is the case, regardless of what you are facing, you have a reason to shout tonight. You have a reason to shout tonight. Hallelujah. I don't know about, I've got a reason to shout tonight. Because in the midst of my problems, in the midst of my circumstances, I serve a God that is higher than everything. If I can just lift up my eyes a little bit higher to where he is, he's going to lift us through the challenges, through the circumstances, because he has made us to be more than conquerors. We've all been called into the kingdom for such a time as right now. God knows exactly where you are. God knows exactly where the church is. He hasn't overlooked you. He knows exactly where you are. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. How many of you want to believe tonight? I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what problems have come into your family. I don't know what things you have, have battled with. But I believe that God is raising up a great generation in the apostolic church. And it's going to be because we are going to emerge from these things that we are experiencing. And we're going to rise above them. And we're going to take the truth of God to every nation. And preach the gospel to every creature. And baptize them in the name of Jesus. And watch them be filled with the Holy Ghost. And see them be changed. And transformed. And delivered. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I wonder if we can all stand right now.
the musicians can come. I had said earlier that greatness seems to be a buzzword in our generation. And many people, they want to be great, but they don't understand the process of what it takes to be great. And I love Jesus' storytelling abilities and how he would take something from the natural world and it would convey a spiritual message. And uh, a while back, I love to hike. I love to get out into nature and I love to enjoy God's creation. And there's many lessons for us to learn from his creation. And uh, I love the national parks. And uh, one that we really enjoy to go to is Yosemite in California. Well, if you know anything about Yosemite, they've got the sequoias there. And they're the tallest trees on the continental U.S. And you look at them and they're just towering behemoths of God's creation. And you're, you, you sit there and think like, how in the world can a tree grow that tall? I know that we live in the Midwest and so we have uh, hard timber woods and I love to deer hunt and so many times my stand is hung on a big oak, you know, a tall oak. And so we know big trees, but the sequoias are on a whole nother level. And they tower above everything else on the landscape. And I just was wondering why is that? What, what causes them to, to grow that high? And so I began to do some research and, you know, usually with trees, it's how deep their roots grow that makes them grow tall. But the interesting thing about the sequoia is their roots don't actually grow that deep. What causes those great trees to grow to great heights? they stretch themselves out horizontally. And if you would dig up the root systems of the sequoia tree, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. If you would dig up the root system of those trees, what you will find is you'll have a grove of 15 trees. And instead of them being independent, their root systems are all intricately connected. Each one of them feeds off the strength of another. When one is hurting, he draws energy from the one next to him and from the one over here. And that strength that they have in numbers causes them to soar to great heights. The tallest trees in the continental U.S., do not grow deep independently. They grow farther interconnectedly. It's been kind of difficult to watch the things that have transpired in our beautiful nation over the last four years. We've seen division outside in the world, but unfortunately there has been division among the church. And so I, I, I don't know, again, I, I'm not God, but I do know that he cares for somebody in this place. And he cares about this church so much. And I know that we're unified and we're a family of God, but I wonder tonight, if you want to be great, 
If you want to do great things for God, then you need your brother. You need your sister. You need that person standing beside you tonight. And so if we are going to be the greatest generation of the apostolic church and reap the greatest harvest that the church has ever seen, we're going to have to be more of a body than we've ever been. We're going to have to be more interdependent and interconnected than we've ever been. Because the harvest that God is bringing will not be reaped by one person. It's going to take every single person coming together in the name of Jesus. And so I wonder tonight if we could just, I know it's a Wednesday night, if we could come to the front and just link arms and visualize those sequoias and say, God, I want to grow high. I want to do something great. But Lord, I know that I need to be connected to the body. I need to draw strength from my brother. I need to draw strength from my sister. And if we can become unified, we will soar in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I wonder if we could just worship the Lord for a moment. I wonder if we could just lay hands on one another for a moment and and lose sight of ourselves for a second and just say, God, I need the family of God. I need my brothers and sisters. If we're going to be the body of Christ, then we have to be unified. We have to be connected. We have to grow our roots into each other and share relationship and time and meals together, Lord. Bind your church together, God, in unity like never before. I know we're in a great church, but God, we can do greater. We can do greater things, Lord. Hallelujah. That's right, church. Pray right now. In the name of Jesus, I want to be connected. I want to be dependent. I want to bear my brother's burdens. Hallelujah. Oh God, breathe life into us. Breathe strength into us. Let a river of peace. Hallelujah. And as the body comes together, it will be stronger than it's ever been. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.